Hi guys, welcome to the second episode of the Sling Den Slingshot podcast. I'm here today with a very special guest and we're going to go down a different route to last time. And just a quick disclaimer, we are going to be talking about hunting um, and other things like that. So if that's not your thing and you get easily offended, this is probably not the podcast for you. But anyway, without further ado, let me introduce our guest today, which is Alex Davidson. Hi Alex, how you doing bud? Not bad mate, how about yourself? I'm good. I'm good. So, um, tell everyone who you are. I mean, you haven't um, got a YouTube. Well, I don't know if you've got a YouTube channel, but I used to great. at one point, but I hit all the videos. I'm not too bothered about it now, you know. But I'm Alex Davidson. Been hunting with a catapult for nearly ten years now, so a little bit of experience with it, and hopefully, I've got a little bit of knowledge that I can share to help some new people coming into it as well. Okay, so what what made you pick up a slingshot? Um, I mean, if, if people don't know, um. You, you, you're pretty much out there to take out game with a slingshot. Mm -hmm. What made you pick one up and think that was the tool you wanted to use? Um, about 10 years ago, I got my first dog, so plenty mooching out with her with no knowledge of any sort of outdoor, any, anything outdoor related. Started to get a little bit interested in bushcraft videos on YouTube, watching MCQ bushcraft. Eventually, I seen a video of him hunting with a Hathcock target sniper, and I thought, that's a bit of me, that. So I sacked the bushcraft off and sort of went down that route with it and you know, never looked back since, really. And do you remember what, what your first catapult was, your first slingshot? Do you remember the what it was? The first catapult that I got, I think, was, was one out of two. I can't remember what it was, which is not bad. Um, it was either a Hathcock target sniper, because as soon as you seen that, I thought I'd best do that. Or there was a wooden one um, that a traveling that I used to work with. He uh, made this one, which was really nice, but I smashed, smashed the hell out of that, if I'm honest, you know, with it being wood. But it was either one of them two. I can't remember which one it was, though, but... That you know, I got the bug straight away with it. And obviously, when we're talking about hunting, you have to be accurate. There's there's no mm -hmm. missing, really, is there? So, have mm -hmm. you have you done any sort of competitions, or I mean, where was this point where you thought I'm going to start hunting, or did you did you want to get a, a catapult in the beginning to hunt? Yeah, the main aim was to hunt. I mean, I wasn't. I'm not from a hunting background or anything like that. I remember saying to one lad, "Why do you hunt when you can just get things from the shop?" I had all those mad one-liners that I used to cut that you know, that, you know the stereotypical one-liners yep. that people come out with. But I, I just, I just thought it was absolutely amazing to see what people were doing with it. You know, so um, I got online, got onto Facebook, got some advice from everyone there. They said, "Start doing your target practice for." a few months and then start sort of progressing over to hunting so it must have been probably about four or five months before i got my first kill with a caddy but once i did get it that you know it just they kept coming and coming from there you know but for the first phase of it it was just really trying to get my technique down a lot you know um that took a good while because when i hunt now i'm completely blank minded i don't want to be wasting my time thinking right i need to anchor right forks forward right lift up you know if you mm -hmm. take that time to be doing all of that you're wasting time on a shot that, well, it could fly away or anything, you know. Um, what, did you set yourself a goal? Uh, I've heard some people say if you can hit, hit like a 50 pence coin sort of nine times out of ten, then you're ready to kind of get a headshot. Did you set yeah, yourself? Yeah, no, I was always on the cans initially. I had, a, I had a big big garden with a shed in the back, so I just put loads of blankets up and just set myself away with a can. And once I cut it, I just kept on with the bits that were sort of left after the cut, you know. Um, so my shooting wasn't anywhere near as bang on as it probably should have been. I was shooting 12 mil lead at the time, so when you're shooting them, there is a massive margin that you don't really need to be the most accurate with. I've changed setup since then and obviously got a lot more accurate, but it's just come down with knowledge, you know, and just, just figuring out what's worked for me, you know. And I suppose with that as well, it comes down, you know, to equipment um and knowing what works well for the i mean is, is it do you have different ammo for different game or do you have your setup that you go to and your setup is your setup from the start i've always shot 100 mil out i'm not saying that this is the way that everyone should go as well because there's many people who have better shots than me who can shoot a wide variety of frames but i've always went for a 100 mil out there r10 sort of variant with this um at the minute, I'm shooting me sniper sling 0.7 yellow with me 8 mil lead, and that works absolutely perfect. It's got the same weight as 9.5 steel. We've got a nice thickness on the band, so when it comes into winter, you're not losing the power on it, you know, with it being the 0.7. 
Um, and I just absolutely love it. You know, nice light draw on it. And that's took me hares, ducks, pheasants, pigeons, you know, you name it. And I've had it with, with that setup and they just fly perfect. So I, I, I don't deviate from, from what I very rarely deviate. I haven't changed bands for about two years, maybe a year it might have been. Um, that way I can just pick it up. And I'm always sort of not bang on with me shooting. It'll always take a couple of shots to get back into it. Mm-hmm. But I know me settled very well now to to go back to it if I was to have some time off sort of thing, you know. Obviously, you said about getting a few warm-up shots before you go in on a hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, explain to people why that's important. If, if someone wanted to start hunting with a catapult, explain why that's important. For me, I think if you've had a few days off, you know, your anchor point can... It's not going to change, sorry, but you may think it's in a different place to what it is, you know. So even if you're a couple of mil out on your anchor, that's going to make for inches out of distance or feet further out, however you're shooting, you know. So for me, I like to get a couple of shots in. I always take a spinner with us on a little bit of paracord. If not, shooting over water is 100% one of your best bets because you can really see actually where you're going wrong, whether it is left, right, up, down, you know. So I'll always look at doing things on water if I can just to just to make sure that I am shooting bang on, you know. There's little things as well when it comes into the hunting side of it, you know, lads start flipping the wrist, which is not mean I take pickle fork, that's absolutely fine, but if you're shooting TPF or anything like that, that's no good. So it's just making sure that you are, that everything's right, ready for the hunt, you know. I'd rather get I'd rather get the drop than, than not get mm-hmm. the drop, really, you know. And what, what would you say your main reason for, for hunting is? I mean, is it, is it, is it uh, what, what do you do with the game once you've got it? I eat a lot of it, to be honest with you. I eat a lot of it. Some of it will go to the ferrets as well. The ferrets do get a little bit of it as well. Um, but I'm, I'm really into the wild cooking side of it, sort of spiralled out from just me catapult hunting. I'm now doing a lot of foraging, so my eyes are up, down, everywhere, looking for forageable, forageables to go alongside it, which are all seasonal. So I do quite enjoy the cooking side of it. Even when it's, when the, I was banging the wild camping a few years ago, and it was one or two times that I went out with no food, no water, and I just wanted the challenge of doing that, you know. I'll be honest, it's no fun doing it now. I'd much rather take my beers and me, me chocolate and all that now. But just having the skills to do it, I, I really like, you know. And I guess back to what you were saying earlier about people saying, well, why don't you just go to the shop? I guess the the answer to that is, well, why don't you just go and get your own food? I mean, it's well, organic, yeah. it's fresh, mm-hmm. you know where it comes from. And, mm-hmm. you know, a bit like fishing, if you go and catch your own fish, Mm-hmm. You cook your own fish. There's a good mm-hmm. feeling about it. You know, yeah, yeah. DNA, you, it's in our DNA, isn't it? you can be doing a favour to the wildlife as well. You know, like I'm up in County Durham here. We're sort of bordering where the red squirrels are. So taking grey squirrels is always going to be a good thing. You know, I know I've just come back from an avian flu, but there's been a 75. There was a 75% increase in uh, wood pigeon numbers over the last 20 years. So taking them down isn't an issue. You know. Ducks love duck meat, you know, I don't have any any ethical reasons for that, just other than that I really do like my duck meat, same with my hair as well, so you can be doing the wildlife, the wilder favour, I mean with a catty you're not going to be getting as much to where you have an impact on it, but you know, you, you've got that in the back of your mind while you're doing it as well. And what would you say your favourite thing to eat, well if you could hair. go out today and you could have one thing, what would it be? Hair. Hair, one hundred percent. Love hair meat. Yeah, you do a nice big dinner with it the first night, and then you normally have plenty of meat over for it for a nice curry the night after as well. So yeah, if I could live on hair, I mean, you can tell you now I'm grinning after it. I do like, I do like my hair. Like, and for people who don't know, who may have tasted rabbit, what is the biggest difference between the two? Oh, I, I say it's more like gamey lamb. If I'm even rubbing me, you know, you're going to rub your hands and everything. You're going to be out now, aren't you? You're going like you, to stop this. You're going to be out now trying to get a hair. Yeah, mate, it's a way to go. Like, hey, I'm telling you, it's really, really nice, you know. Um, I'm hoping to get into a little bit of gate netting. I'm bringing a dog on at the minute, you know. So I'll hopefully find out where the hairs are running, sort of set a nice big net across a gateway, and I'll chuck the dog out into the, uh, into the field in the pitch black, and she'll push that gate. Uh, sorry, that hair into my gate nest where I'll um, take it. Meat won't be tough or anything like that because she's only three quarter collie, so uh, and quarter greyhound, so she's not going to run it hard or anything like that. Obviously, she'll never get a uh, mouth on it, so it keeps it legal. And then uh, I'll hopefully have a few in the pot over the next couple of years. <laughs> That's the idea, anyway. So you just touched on uh, dogs, and you mentioned at the beginning it was the fact that you were going out with your mm. dog. That's yeah. what first kind of got you interested in being outdoors, the bushcraft, mm-hmm. the catapult. Um, tell us a little bit more about uh, the dog or the dogs that you have um, and where that passion come from. Mm. So my first dog was a collie bitch. I bought her at six months old as a field sheep dog. I just wanted a little companion. 
I'd seen a shepherd on the farm where I worked, had a fantastic bond with his dogs. Um, so I went and picked her up. Obviously got into catties at the same time. So I thought, I'll try and make a catty dog of this. Done an absolutely terrible job of it, if I'm honest. Um, but absolutely loved being out with her, you know. Progressed then to get another collie bitch from up Scotland. Um, I wanted to do some sheepdog trialling with her. Um, trained her to a very high standard under the supervision of a gentleman called Stephen Ledger. So I learned a lot from him in my time. Unfortunately, the sheepdog trial never happened. I moved away from the farm um, and I needed to find another purpose for Sky. So I started looking into a lot of gun dog um, techniques, things like that. Started putting her towards um, hunting with the catapult and using them gun dog techniques with the catapult side of things. Done a fantastic job of her. Started ferreting with her, although collies aren't the best dogs for ferreting because they don't have the speed. She's done absolutely fine for me, and I learned all my lessons from her, you know. And then recently, I went down Manchester to meet a bloke called John, who gives me little lurcher here, or my reverse bred lurcher, who's Meg, who's, like I say, three-quarter collie, quarter greyhound. If you have a look on YouTube at Ferreton and the Dales, you'll see her great-granddad working by Ian Clayton, who's a big name within the Ferreton community. With that as well, um, I used to I really love the dog training side of it. I was posting a lot of videos, things like that. And then I got an offer uh, to become a gun dog trainer last year. So I've been making that as me living and once again, enhancing my skills under Ian Teeter. He's really sort of brought us on a hell of a lot, um, roughed out a few edges with us. And now um, me training starting to get there with both my dogs and his, you know, and I'm putting out some fantastic dogs now. Good. And so for people who don't know, um... What, what what is a gun dog so your gun dog is going to be basically we we sort of base it around shotguns you can't be using them around rifles so we specialize more in your labradors your springers and your cockers um so like i say the techniques are sort of about the same for i always say a good gun dog will make a fantastic catapult dog a good catapult dog won't necessarily make a good good gun dog so if you are looking to train your dog up start looking for your gun dog techniques and just transfer it over um to the catapult sort of thing you know okay and then obviously you've got your you've got your beating and you've got your retrieving mm -hmm. um from my knowledge some dogs do one or the other some dogs yeah do yeah both. so for me uh, I, I prefer for me, I'm more, I'm more sort of um, driven towards the picking up side of it. So for me, that would be your Labradors more, and your Springers. You can use your Springers for beating and, um, sorry, use your Springers for beating and picking up. And then you're looking for your Cockers more for um, for beating and things like that. Right. So uh, obviously when it comes to gun dogs, um, a lot of the time they're alert and they're trained in a certain way. Um mm -hmm. What's different about using a slingshot? Because obviously, with a gun, they got the sound of the gun going off. Mm -hmm. I appreciate with a with a slingshot, you've got the snap of the bands. Mm -hmm. um, what do you do to make sure your dog is alert and doing what you want it to do? Mm -hmm. So I don't think there is much difference, you know. But I think steadiness is is the main key, you know. I always say I don't want my dog rushing in and scaring birds off if I was to miss. If that dog's going to react off the snap of the bands and you haven't hit anything, you might have been able to get a follow up shot. And that's just going to scare the bird off. So I always make sure that I've got a dead, dead, steady dog and it's going off my command. Fair enough, if it marks the drop and you want your dog to run in, that's absolutely fine if you want your dog to do that. Personally, I don't. I want my dog to wait and go off the voice command. So I'll be doing things in training scenarios. I've got these bird dummies that I put up in the trees. I'll shoot the bird out or the bird dummy out of the tree. I'll go pick it up for the first time. My dog isn't going to get it. She doesn't get every dummy. She needs to learn that, you know. I'll go put it out again. I'll shoot it out. The dog's looking to me for that command. She sees a drop. She marks the drop, and then she's looking to me. I'll give it four seconds, and then I'll send the dog out for that retrieve. And that's just going to keep her dead, dead steady for me. And just going off my voice command, which I prefer, not scaring birds up, which I think is the most important thing. One thing I see a lot of people doing bad with training, especially with catapults, is they'll, they'll try and encourage the dog to the shot. So they'll shoot the bands, they'll be like, what's that, what's that? And they'll and they'll make the dog excited about the shot, whereas the dog should never be excited about the shot, it should be about uh, excited about the retrieve after. Mm -hmm. Okay. And how do you prevent a dog, because obviously there's natural instincts involved, especially mm -hmm. with certain breeds. Mm -hmm. But I know from, I've, I've got two gun dogs, and for me, mm -hmm. um, like the one that I have, Ren, if she sees a squirrel, that's her, she's locked on. Mm -hmm. How do you prevent a dog from 
like you said, you know, you, you could scare away, you could scare mm -hmm. away something just by, mm -hmm. you know, it sees your dog before it sees you. The idea of hunting is seeing mm -hmm. what you want before it sees you, right? Yeah. So how do you stop your dog from reacting if it sees something before you do? So one of the problems I've got is, especially with the lurchers that I've got, is that my dog is going to react and it's putting her into a sit prior to it. If you don't want your dog react, so if, if I do see it or if I, if it's happening, I'll do it and the dog should sit there and then, you know. On the other side of that, you want to make sure you're doing a lot of memory retrieves with your dogs. If you don't know what that is, have a look online because that's going to be the way to set you up, you know. So I'll be walking out with the dog on the lead, get the dog into a sit, throw the dummy out, I'll walk back, pop the dog into a sit, take the slip lead off. You want to make sure when you take that slip lead off that the dog isn't running out. Wait that four seconds again, send the dog out for the retrieve, bring it back in nicely, progressing to the point where you're doing that completely off the lead, and then that's going to progress towards your hunting skills of using, like, say, a catapult on a dummy or something like that, and then that's going to be the way to do that, you know. Okay. Um, and obviously, well, you'd class a dog as a tool, um, but in terms of the tools you use, uh, you said you don't like to change your bands, don't like to change your yeah. ammo, which I always, think is a good, I, I always think is a good thing. I, I like mm -hmm. to mess around with things just to see if there's anything else out there. Mm -hmm. So I will go and get something new to try it out. Um, but what, what's your setup at the moment? What, what, what's your, your frame, your bands? I've got, a, I've got a West Yorkshire Catapult Valkyrie, which is an R10 variant, as I said before. Um, sniper, sniper Sling 0.7 with a 26-22 cut. The band lasts ages as well. And the 8 mil LEDs, which I knock up myself as well. Those to you on camera. And does that change your weather at all, or you have no, to use that all year? Same all year round. Another thing I use as well: um, HDH kangaroo um, pouches. If any years have known me over the past few years, I have banged on about these pouches left, right, and centre so much so that I didn't have any in stock. So I spent fifty quid when he got them back in stock, and I'm absolutely. I've got pouches everywhere. I've got them coming out of my ears, but I, I absolutely swear by those pouches. I can't get away with microfiber because as soon as they get wet, they go. I feel like normal leather just stretches. So kangaroo leather pouches, I think, are the way forward for hunters. Like, Okay, and if you could give three tips to someone who wanted to start hunting with a catapult, mm -hmm. bearing in mind you've got to think of the animal. You know, you want a headshot, mm -hmm. you don't want to injure it and it get away. Mm -hmm. And what, what what would your tips be? And that can be anything from equipment to technique mm -hmm. um, or just, you know, what, what, what would you recommend researching prior to doing that? So I think... Taking your time, learning how to shoot the catapult, getting used to your frame is the biggest, biggest, biggest one. You need to be taking time. If you're not hitting, as you said earlier, things consistently, you're not going to be, you're not going to be hitting the pigeons. You know, another one, staying calm as well. If I think too many people can get an adrenaline spike. We spoke about this with Steve Ranella the other day, and what he done. We were saying mm -hmm. that Steve Ranella went out hunting on a uh, video. And he really encouraged this girl to shoot when she wasn't ready. And she lifted the shotgun up or rifle or whatever it was too high in the sky and the girl missed. So you need to be staying calm through your shots so that you can... You only ever, for me, it's TTF. I don't see me, uh, the kills when we frames down near the floor because of the adrenaline. I only see it through the little dimp. So really taking your time with that. And then having the respect as well. Another thing I do is I, I'm, I'm big into leaving shots. You know, if you, if you shoot something, you miss and you're walking in a straight line, there's a good chance you're going to be putting more birds up down the line. I'd rather leave a bird if I wasn't too sure of the shot, go further on. If there's nothing on, then maybe come back. And if you are going to shoot, at least you're going to be shooting it back down the, or scaring it back down the way that you've already been. Um, and then you're not going to have the risk of putting more birds up, you know, but they do pick up a hell of a lot just by the flap of the, especially I'm throwing more pigeons here, you know, they will mm. get scared further down the line when they, when they hear that, that sudden flap. So just taking your time and picking the right shot. Uh, so obviously you're not going to get a 40-yard shot, well, a headshot mm -hmm. to an animal with a catapult. Mm -hmm. So what techniques do you use to make sure you can get close enough without uh, spooking um, mm -hmm. the quarry? How, how, do you do, how do you go about doing that? So when I'm on pigeons, one thing I like to do is try not to get eye contact. I'm not looking too much. If you can see the, the bird's head twitching or the bird's moving about a lot, you can see that it's nervous. So I would try and leave that one and try and veer off and round to it, you know, like say, trying to push it further back if you can. Slow draw the bands if you can as well. That's not to, to not scare us. Coming on to ducks, I'll try and do like sort of M shapes into the, um, down onto the river, just so I'm not scaring them or I'm getting into the right position to shoot them. 
if you're after pheasants, you want to be covering your face and your hands as well. You will get so much closer if you cover your face and hands that don't feel a threat. You feel a threat by the colour of your skin more than anything else. So covering your face, covering your hands, you will get a hell of a lot closer with them. So that's, that's another good tip for you. And where where'd you learn all this from? So I, I've never really thought about not not looking a pigeon in the eye or covering my face. Where where do you pick up these sort of things? A lot of it's trial and error, if I'm honest with you. I've I think I've although I might have been successful in it, I guarantee you I've had more failures in it as well. So it's just trial and error. You start to read the pigeons. I think people see start to need questioning what they're doing when they're going out hunting, question where the birds are as well. So it's you know like this month you're going to be finding the pigeons mainly on hawthorn keep an eye on that you know if you know they're going to be there go for there next month i know they're going to be on ash coming out of it a couple of months after that i know they're going to be on rapeseed because i've been keeping an eye on it you know august september time i know that the weather's going to be hot so you see them more down rivers and it's just remembering things year on year of where they're going to be to to uh, you know i've basically got a little routine going of how my year year goes now and it's just the failures basically just just learning from your mistakes and trying to better yourself i think and do you do you plan your hunts so do you have it that you know you've been to one place at one time and you know how those animals are behaving mm-hmm. um you know what they're eating mm-hmm. do, you, do you have a record of all this so you know where to go at what time or is it all I'm, I'm very clued up with the area that i live in yes i know what forageables are grown in certain areas i know you know if you said you wanted to go to a certain mushroom i could take you to a tree that it grows on and show you it at the time of year so yeah i keep a mental map of everything going on just to just to try and have a good mooch out you know i always say it's making the most of me mooch so yeah mm-hmm. um, um what, what is that like do you, do you just do, do you have planned days where you do that or is it just like any other interest where you know, if you go into the gym, you just set a time of day and go for it. Or, I mean, work's took over a lot now, but I do enjoy it. But I, I try and get out a few times a month if I can. Keep my eyes in properly, for, you know, for proper moochers anyway. Um, I mean, there's other things that I do as well. I won't shoot corvids. I mean, I've got no, in, no interest in eating corvids. But I won't shoot them just for the basis that I know that they're going to scare squirrels away. Squirrels pick up on that big style, you know, so... Um, I mean, pick up books as well. You know, Archie Coates is a fantastic um, person uh, who's wrote a good few. I mean, it's more about shotguns, you know. You don't need to read the bits about decoying and things like that, but you can pick the books up and, and read the bits that you need to, to to learn your quarry. And I think that's a, that's going to be a massive thing is, is learning what you're doing when, when you're out, you know, rather than just going out and walking. But it, it depends on how you want to do it as well. And I suppose when we're talking about um, a catapult, it's, for me especially, and I've heard a lot of people say this, when you're using a gun, okay, it might be satisfying if it takes a moment, but when you're using a catapult, there's a bit extra there. There's a, there's more of a primitive feel to it. There's more of a, mm-hmm. I've just done something using a lot of skill there. Do, mm-hmm. do, you, do you feel that? Yeah, yeah, I love it. I've got no time for guns. I've, you know, I, I work as a gun dog trainer and I won't go out shooting. I've got no interest in it. I really, really like getting out with a catty. I love sticking in it in my pockets. I love the mooch, so... I'm all about the cat. I'd bow hunt if I could. I mean, you know, I know you kind of get away with that in this country, but if I could, I would be doing it that way. So I think for me, the, the catapult's the, the next best thing in that in that respect. And I suppose it's, it's quite interesting, actually, because, I mean, I know you're not one of those catapult enthusiasts that goes out and mm-hmm. buys loads of different frames and mm-hmm. you're excited about the next big thing that's coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, but for someone who's constantly hunting with a catapult, Mm-hmm. What what is it about the setup that you've got right now, and why you're reluctant to maybe see what else is out there? Do, do you not think there could be something out there that would be even better, or do you just think you're at a point now where you're very very comfortable with your setup, you're very mm-hmm. very comfortable with your equipment, and you and it's mm-hmm. all doing the job, so there's no no need to, to go there really. If it's not broke, don't fix it. I'm a big fan of you know. It's been working for this long, and I see I see it working time and time again. You know, I think. I mean, I've been in the catapult, although I'm not enthusiastic about catapults, I'm very enthusiastic about what a catapult can do for us. I feel like a lot of people are always looking for that next best thing and they don't find it, they end up wasting too much time faffing on getting it new setups, having to cut new bands, things like that, you know, and it takes time away from me. I don't have that time to to be relearning a, a band set, you know, and, and it's not just relearn the band set for, you know, if I start shooting now in March, I'm going to have to relearn it when it comes to winter, see what it's like shooting then. 
So it's just a setup that I know is going to work time and time again. And I don't have to be faffing on cutting loads of different bands for different seasons, different weathers, things like that. You know, I can just I can just go out and hunt, which is the main thing for me. I think I see a lot of it, especially on social media pages and things like that, where people are talking about using ammo. And you always get people saying, use this, use that. But it mm -hmm. has got to be down to the user. Um, mm -hmm. it, it goes mm -hmm. to the same as like reference points, uh, your anchor point, the equipment you're using. But mm -hmm. one of the big things, especially when we're talking about hunting, is ammo. Mm -hmm. um, I use 8mm steels. So mm -hmm. obviously the same size as yours, but yours are Bit heavier being led, yeah. Then I see some people using 11 mil, 11 mils, and 12 mils, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, but for me, I feel like there's too much of a drop on that. Have you got yeah. a reason why you use what you use when it comes to ammo? I want the nice light setup and a nice hard hit, you know. I know 11, 11 mil steel came in uh, quite popular with Wayne Martin, but mm -hmm. when you look at the size of his arms, I like the size of my legs. I kind of be pulling the bands back that he's pulling, you know. so um, he, he gets away with it fantastic and I can't fault the bloke, you know, he's a fantastic hunter, but I, I can't be, you know, I might be able to pull it back once or twice, but I'm not pulling it back all day for, for a good mooch, you know, so it, it's just finding what works for you personally and, and, and definitely for the size that you are as well. Like we're saying, mm. you know? I find it's the distance as well with the eight mils, I find mm. I can cover quite a lot of distance, whereas if I go a, a little bit heavier, um, yeah. I lose the distance. Yeah, um, and as we were we were talking about getting closer to the quarry mm -hmm. earlier, mm -hmm. I think it's quite important that you can get close enough, but also what you're using is also going to do the job when you get yeah. there. Right? You don't have to be anticipating a drop when you're shooting 20, 20 yards or twenty meters or anything like that. Really, you're, you're dead right with what you say there. So let's have a little chat about the area you're in. Um, mm -hmm. Do you know many people like yourself that goes out and uses a catapult to hunt or? No, no, not a single person. There's a lad. There's another lad local to us who I chat a little bit with online. You know, um, he wanted a hand making bands, which I didn't help. I didn't mind helping him. Um, sorry, I made him some bands, but at the same time, I said I'm not going to make you another set. If you want to come up and I'll show you how to make them, I'd rather spend the hour showing them how to make them than spend the 15 minutes making them. So I'm more than happy to help people. You know, but. I live for the mutual on my own. You know, I don't want other people around. I don't want to be talking. I want to be dead quiet. I don't faff on with my dog. This is another thing when we were talking about springers and cockers and that before. They can be a little bit busy around your feet. If you ask me, Labrador's the way forward. So um, it, it's all about being quiet and being 100% focused, you know. Although my mind's running absolutely mental when I'm out with what birds are around, what animals are around, what forageable are around, what things I can use for bushcraft, um, what birds of prey might be around. It's My mind's going a million miles an hour, but it's the time that I find peace in my mind if you will you know it's the time that I'm it's me quiet time as well so yeah I, I much prefer doing it all by myself if I'm honest and what's quite interesting you, you you've kind of said that you're not from this sort of background mm -hmm. where, where where are you actually from were you were you kind of very outdoorsy as a kid did you know no? so I, I, I'd done a lot of free running when I was a young so it was um I'm really thankful that I've done that because it was hammering techniques, realising that I can't do it, but eventually if I keep practising that I will be able to do it. But I grew up in a place called Washington, which um, at the time had the highest underage pregnancy rate in Europe, not because of me, by the way. And it was also the, <laughs> that, that would do with me. And it was also the cheapest place to buy or rent a house in the UK. So it wasn't a very nice area, like say a sort of town area, nothing really going for it. And then I moved out to the country and... Um, like I say it's just changed me my changed my life for the better really and what inspired you to do that what inspired you to to kind of go from that kind of built up area to mm -hmm. great outdoors i was lucky to land a decent job if i'm honest i landed a job where i was taking people out quad biking clay pigeons shooting mud buggying and things like that so that brought us out to durham and you know talking to the people who were on the farm like i mentioned Stephen before who had the collie the lads who were down at the clays clay side of things you know they started talking to us about hunting advising us i mean it was little things like i was scared a pigeon was going to peck at us when i was picking it up things like that you know i didn't have a clue and i look back and laugh at them now so it's it's been having the right people around us to guide us as well you know and have you got one big inspiration that, that you kind of look at or that you kind of admire so believe it or not, it's, it's probably someone. It's not actually someone within catapult. I would say a gentleman called Cameron Haynes, who's a bow hunter from America. He's put some good videos out as well. He'll go out hunting black bear, elk, all sorts of things. He runs a marathon a day. He lifts weights, and he's just 
he tries to make the training harder than um, the actual event so he can go out and be hopefully more successful and he proves it time and time again so I adopt that attitude as well I'm big into me running I'm big into me gym I'm always training me dogs to be better you know I'm always trying to get the shots in on the catapults even if it is just five to ten shots a day I don't like to overdo it as I said earlier you can start dropping the frame dropping the frame while you're shooting things like that so I would say Cameron Hames and you haven't seen him definitely have a look at him and you when we're talking about your dogs do they mm-hmm. are they in in your home with you or are they kennel yeah, yeah. No, no, my dogs are in the house with his eye. Although the really good workers, I've also got them absolutely soft as out, you know, they're spoiled. I feed them a good diet of raw, um, sometimes a little bit of kibble. Um, I make sure that they, they do get the best because I need the best out of them, you know. Even if I can just have something 1% better, even if it's, there's so much more work into it, I will put put a lot more into it, you know. And I, can't, I guess that kind of goes against the grain a bit because you hear a lot of people say, you can't have a dog as a pet and a dog that works. But mm-hmm. I know from, I mean, my, mine are the same as yours. They're, they're spoiled, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're pets. You wouldn't look at them and think they're working dogs. But mm-hmm. um, why do you think that attitude is? Is it an, an old fashioned thing where dogs are in kennels and they're tools and nothing else? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is, is that where you think it's come from? No, I think it's the way that people have them in the house, you know. If, there's, although I do have them soft as out, my dogs aren't jumping up at us. They're not getting up on the sofas on top of us, you know, having this possessive behaviour. I won't let my dogs eat before us um, because I'm the alpha in the wild. I would have made the kill, so I eat before them. I make sure that they're not in the room with us when I eat. They're nowhere near us. There's loads of little things that I'll be doing that they know I am the boss when it comes down to it, you know. So it's just making sure that they know that as well. I think people nowadays... Dogs rule the roost over them. And I like to say, mm-hmm. although they're soft, they know the place in the pecking order, all three of them. And we've touched on breeds. Um, but sort of, from my perspective, mm-hmm. I have favourite in breeds just from my past. Growing up, um, I've had I've had many breeds. I've had boxers, I've had German shepherds. And for me, mm-hmm. the German shepherd was, and probably still is, my go-to. Now, for mm-hmm. someone like me, who also has Labradors as gun dogs, Mm-hmm. I know in the back of my mind, a German Shepherd isn't probably the best dog um, mm-hmm. to go out with me and, you know, go on a mooch, pick something mm-hmm. up. What what do you think that contributes to? Because obviously, if you're looking at like a French Bulldog or something like this, there's just, there's just no way. But when yeah, you, yeah, yeah. you've got a working dog and a working dog, so a German Shepherd mm-hmm. is a working dog. A Collie is a working dog. A Labrador mm-hmm. is a working dog. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they're bred for different things. Mm-hmm. How plausible would it be to train a dog that is trainable in any area of field sports? Provided you start early enough, you can do it bang on, you know, but it's looking at the right dog as well. As you said, German Shepherd, you've got to be looking for a dog that's going to be in fit condition for the mooching that you're doing, you know. You definitely want to be looking at German lines. The KC lines nowadays, I think, are absolutely ruined. They've got that, you know, the hips, the back, everything like that, you know. But provided you put the correct training in them early on, you can do anything with them, you know. I've got a mate who does search and rescue over Norway with a collie, so he's done. He's channeled that training that way. Obviously, mate, who's a shepherd doing it that way. I've done picking up with mine, so it's it's getting the correct training them early on. You can build instinct, or, or you can change instinct a hell of a lot within the first year. There's obviously going to be little things coming through, you know. Me dogs will naturally hurt. They won't hurt a pigeon, you know, but you will see those traits come through naturally within the breed that you've got, but. You can start a Labrador off a hell of a lot easier and all than you will do, say, you know, your Terrier or your your Collie or anything like that because it is bred to picking up and it is natural. You see, see it time and time again, they do naturally want to come into you. So it's finding the right dog for you and, and, and finding the dog that you can give the work to, you know. I've just had a little Vizsla in there for training and they take so, so much. They'd be fantastic working dogs, but you see a lot of lads getting them for ultra marathon running and things like that. If you're not doing that, you don't want one of them, you know. So it's it, research your breed. That's the main thing. Research the breed that you want and research the training that you're going to put into them. And I suppose it's always easier to have, just like anything when it comes to dogs, it's always easier to have one dog that knows what it's doing for the other mm-hmm. one to pick, pick up the skills. So even if you talk about the very, very basics of owning a dog, mm-hmm. if you've got one dog and you go and get a pup, that pup's probably going to start going to the toilet outside and mm-hmm. doing what it should be doing. Yeah, a lot yeah. It's got another dog with it. That obviously also applies to working dogs and being able to mm-hmm. show a dog what to do from learning mm-hmm. from another. What's the difference when you haven't got that 
and you're trying to teach a dog what to do and it, it, is it the reward system which sounds very simple but obviously it's mm -hmm. not um, otherwise i think everybody would be doing it mm -hmm. um but if you haven't got that role model for the dog to look up to and learn from what do you do you see i still i still you know it is the basics like that like like you say that you can do the 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 potty training and things like that but when i go out and train a dog i'm training it by itself sometimes they won't even see another dog picking up unless they're really really struggling for me i don't treat training anything other than the sit everything else is just reward driven you know so they'll get a little touch on the chin they'll get a good girl good boy and that comes into what we were saying before within the house i'm not constantly faffing on with my dogs cuddling them giving them loads of affection i don't really talk much to me dogs other than commands as well because i want them being so bang on so it's just taking the time as i say before you know and, and and making sure that they love that reward or love the task in hand you know and i guess by phrase. now but by now they know what a catapult is do you see signs of excitement when they when you put it out of your pocket do they know what's coming there's a uh, the me merle collie there which people may see there's little things that she's picked up on by herself so i'll be walking along with me catapult in one hand as soon as i come to put me other hand on the pouch the dog puts herself into a sit and that's just through repetition i won't even say anything and that's just through repetition of me being me saying sit because i'm about to take a shot and she'll watch i can draw the catapult and i can spin 360 degrees the dog will follow us 360 degrees because she wants to mark that shot that i'm about to take you know and she's dead dead keen for it now that's incredible um so from association the dogs will get things by association you know there's little things that i do i'll say for the sit you know i won't i don't even need to say sit because because i've said sit so many times and shown the palm of my hand if i just show the dog the palm of the hand now she knows that means sit so you can you can do those little things by association just by like i say just keep hammering them really so we spoke about three tips for somebody who wanted to go out hunting with a catapult what are your three tips for somebody who wanted to use a dog as a catapult dog mm -hmm. so i'd say the first one is definitely take your time i would rather introduce a dog to it later on in life rather than too soon i mean in the ferreting world which i'm more a part of now than probably the catapults you see lads starting the dogs too young you know or other people they'll have in the head oh you need to start a dog when it's a year old you start a dog when it's ready you know take your time and um and get everything get all the training bang on first you know so comes into the second tip of making sure that your dog's dead steady around the catapult getting the dummies or uh, getting some of them bird dummies which i talk about you can order them from dog and field sport and saint Rufy in the uk get some practice shots on them first if your dog's not doing things correctly on the dummies your dog's not going to be doing things correctly on the birds so making sure that you've got that right as well and then lastly just making sure that the thing knows its place i.e it's walking by your side it's not walking ahead of you putting birds up um, it'll stop when it's told so you can even walk out for the shot and it recalls in nicely if you don't have the basics down you, you're not going to progress really okay and obviously this this is different for everybody depending on where they live but obviously being in the uk how does someone go about finding an area where they can go out and do that because obviously they're not going to walk into a london town center and shoot up a pigeon with a catapult so where, where, how would you go about finding the right place to go and do something like that so it's finding the right permission and the right people who are going to let you on really the struggle with catapults is people are going to laugh at you when you tell them that you're using a catapult because you're not going to be getting big bags with it you can say that you are but like the biggest bag i got is nine comparing that to a pigeon shooter you know who are getting 40 50 to 200 you know you're not going to do it so it's going to, it's probably finding someone who's going to do you a favor and just let you on you know i've got a few people around me few landowners who i get on really well with who just let us go out and just do me thing and hunt you know um and then i offer pest control in other words i threw me ferret and our trap and gray squirrels or hopefully gate netting soon so i can offer things in other ways and then, and then i get a little new shot and me catapult while i'm on the land you know so do you want to have a little talk about that what 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 other methods do you have um you mentioned trapping there um, yeah so big into me trapping i like a i love me body grip traps for ferreting if anyone's listening to the, in the us and canada you'll know them as corny bears We've got to do things a little bit different in the UK. We've got to put them in boxes. So I'll trap right up until about September, if I'm honest with you. Um, September, you start to get the hazelnuts out. You'll not be getting them into your boxes. But that's a perfect time for catapult hunting. So it's something else that I have in my calendar. Like I say, September comes. Um, I'm out trying to shoot the shoot the squizzes. 
Um, that's a fantastic way to go. You can snare them as well if you want with a bit of aircraft cable, uh, 1.5mm aircraft cable. Um, that's another way to do it. It's not legal. Oh, you, you could used to do it, I should say. Um, you can't do it now. But it is a fantastic way to go. And you can just sort of make your own route up with your mooch. You know, you've got your boxes in certain places. You've got your catty in between these spots. So trapping is a fantastic way to go. Like I say, me ferreting, I'm a big fan of that. So I've got two ferrets out there in the garden. In, well, in hutches in the garden, I should say. They work fantastic alongside with me dogs. Dogs are know their place around them when the ferret comes up. They know it's the ferret, they know it's not the rabbit. So they'll leave it alone and they realise that that they're working together for, for the same goal. You know, when when there's no rabbits left in the... I mean, my dog marks the warren as well, I should say. So there could be plenty of holes out and about when we're going places. If my dog's head isn't in the ground or my dog's starting to look at me, I know that there's nothing there. If my dog's got that collie fixation, I know that there's something in that warren. Net them up. I'll put nets over the holes and we'll um, we'll chuck the ferret in. Once my ferrets are out and they're not going down underground anymore, I know that that warren's empty and it's, uh, it's time to move on. And does that take any training with the, with the ferrets or is that more of a nah, natural? It's just natural. Yeah. And it's... it's you know, some people will say your EUs are better or your pole cats are better. Some people will say your albinos are better. But I think it's just luck of the draw, if I'm honest with you. You know, some some ferrets are going to make fantastic workers. I had two there. That's two Jills, two females, both litter sisters. One of them is absolutely exceptional. The other one was absolutely terrible. So she actually ended up going to a pet home, which I wasn't too bothered about, you know. So it's look of the draw with it really you know but no there's no training going in got a bit of raw um the lads i've got them off with the lads that i go ferreting with and do a lot of hunting with so they give us it but they're making sure that before their eyes are even open in a few weeks old that we're putting rabbit in there so they know the smell they know the warmth of it and then that just sort of kick starts the prey drive a little bit earlier on i suppose nothing's going to waste then either because obviously you're That's getting it, all yeah the, yeah they get a lot you know, of the rabbits bits of meat and then obviously the mm -hmm. ferrets will then finish up mm -hmm. anything yeah yeah Okay, so I've got some, I got some fan questions. Um, right. Some of them are quite interesting. Right. Um, I'll get the one interesting one out of the way first because I think right. this will be quite a fun topic. So this is by anonymous. Mm -hmm. Said, "Don't you feel bad for killing animals?" <laughs> I mean, I don't know where you want to start with this, but the answer is no. No, I don't. Not at all. No. I mean. We've got some fantastic rabbit information. I'll go on to that bit first with the rabbits. As some of you may know, myxomatosis is killer during the summer. Knacks a lot of the rabbits. I think the new one's VHD. Um, that's taking a lot of rabbits. Luckily, we don't have that up there at the minute, but it's because we're keeping the population low. There's other lads sort of local there that are doing the same job. Now, if we weren't doing that, I guarantee you that disease would spread through there and wipe it out. As I went on about wood pigeons earlier, 75% increase in the last 20 years. So they're doing a lot of crop damage. So even if you are a vegan, how are you, mate? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> We're doing you a favour as well. Your grey squirrels, um, we're bordering a part of the land now. where, Like I say, red squirrel territory. The greys are starting to make a push, push north, unfortunately, which is pushing the reds back. So I'm more than happy to take a good few squirrels if I can. Ducks, if I'm honest with you, I only ever take male mallards, you know, I think I think something like one, uh, they, they take over one in seven females or something like that, I think I read, you know, so I'll, I'll take charge of it, you know, and the breeding, they're doing the majority of the breeding, uh, if you've got a dominant one, so, and I don't really take pheasants, if I'm honest with you, I haven't taken pheasants for a few years, like I say, I'm pally with um, a few people local to us. I don't want to be taking their birds. I think the price is something like stupid, like six pound a bird when they're buying them in now um, with everything going on. So, no, nah, I don't, if I'm honest with you. No. I think it's, uh, I suppose if you're vegan, I get it. But from the perspective of someone who eats meat, mm -hmm. it's, it's quite difficult for me to wrap my head around why you'd have a problem with it. Because, mm -hmm. you're, yeah, okay, you're doing it yourself, but it's humane. Um, like we said, the meat is organic. You know exactly mm -hmm. where it's coming from and you're doing the wildlife a favour. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, what I would like to say as well is, how do you propose to save marsh areas or hen areas without predator control, pre uh, controlling the stoats, controlling the foxes? How, how do you propose doing it? How do you propose um, tackling the grey squirrel population that's wiping out the red squirrels? People I mean, say, not, oh, you can do the injections into them, which will sterilise them. Who's paying for that at the end of the day? Are you going to pay for it? The government can't pay for it, you know, so... 
they've got these ideas. I think that, yeah, you shouldn't be doing it, but you, you find a different solution to me. And I mean, p people go about, oh, let nature take its course. But the reality is, especially when it comes to things like gray squirrels, mm -hmm. they're not naturally supposed to be here. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're not indigenous to the UK. Um, mm -hmm. They are wiping out the red squirrel population with the mm -hmm. squirrel fox. Um, and also it's the songbirds and things like that as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, taking the the uh, you know the British songbirds and things like that. So uh, I'm completely in agreement, but I think it's just a knowledge thing. I think is you know is always that ignorance is bliss, and you can mm. go to Tesco and get yourself a piece of steak and sit there and think you're not doing anything wrong. But the reality of yeah. it is, do you know exactly where that's come from? If you get a kebab, what's in that meat? Do you know? Do you know all that? The avocados over from South America, yeah. you know, which is putting more on climate. You know, I'm foraging for mine. How much foraging do you? I really like this question. I'm doing all <laughs> the foraging things like that. You're getting your stuff shipped over from South America, you know. So you've got to look at the impact that vegans are doing as well. Look at the crops that they're doing, the soy, is it soy crops and things like that, you know. Um, there's a lot of deforestation goes in for that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, I think. So the next question is, um, what what is the difference between shooting, sort of hunting when you're using a catapult? Uh, what is the difference between shooting a target and shooting an animal? In in what in what sense? What? So I guess what they pro what they probably mean is obviously when you when you're shooting a target. Mm -hmm. um you're lining up your shot you're getting your reference point you get your mm -hmm. anchor point you let go yeah and mm -hmm. you know you, you, you still do all the same things you still do right, all the right. Same, take your shot mm -hmm. but obviously one main thing well from my perspective anyway is that target's not moving you might have a bit of wind to it yeah, or sometimes yeah. what i'll do is try and move that target a little bit mm -hmm. um so i've got like a catcher yeah. and i'll just swing that i'll go back and it'll be moving mm -hmm. um but is, is that what you would say is, is the fact? That so, yeah, I'd say that. Up. I mean, for me, I'll I'll hit the target first or second time, and I guarantee I'll never, ever hit it again. My, my attention span isn't working that well. So I think you've got to have a, a stationary target when you're first starting. If you're struggling, if you don't know your reference points, take your ball bearing out your pouch first thing, get sideways onto a mirror. You're going to be able to see if your forks are completely up, up and down or straight. You're going to be able to see if your uh, pouch is too high, too low, you know. Um, once you've got that, just keep drawing back to, to that point. Remember what your catapult looks like. Do that a few times, then take it out of the catch box. Do that until you're hitting it consistently, as you said earlier, nine out of ten shots. If you feel like you're going left or right, you know, you, you can suss that over water if you want to. Um, maybe just shooting towards a rock, something like that, provided you're in a safe area. But then, like I say, I, I don't shoot the target more than not more than two times you know um so then it's taking it out moving your targets out and in, out into the wild if you will setting up on top of the hills um between different branches down valleys you know um and it's going to be mixing your shots up and just just getting that muscle memory for for the different the different angles that you're going to be shooting you know like i can't shoot down to save my life and i think that's probably why i do a lot of ferreting now because i kind of hit rabbits to save my life so it's, it's well, so I was going to say that's that's the next question, and I actually find this quite difficult as well. They say if something's in a tree, they can pretty much take it out, but if something's on the ground, they struggle. They want to know why that is. It's your elbow a lot of the time. I think a lot of work naturally. I know I'm on film here. This is going to be ideal for everyone. When you're shooting down, your elbow sort of comes up with it. When you're shooting, sorry, when you're shooting up, your elbow's already at the right angle for your catapult. You're going to have to bring that archer's elbow in and sort of angle down a bit as well for that one. Um, and I think if, you, if you've got your elbow tucked in a little bit too much, your pouch is bent and it sort of flicks the ball a little bit too much as well. So you've got to try and get that archer style. Um, Gamekeeper John and Chris Graffin are really, really good examples of that uh, archer style. So if you can look at what those lads are doing and try and mimic it, you'll you will help that out. But I find that when you're shooting down as well, you can be um a few inches below the target that I'm aiming um, at certain distances. You know, it's having it zeroed in like a zeroed in air rifle, really. You know, so definitely be, um, get that archer's elbow in for shooting down, or or buy some ferrets and just sack it off. <laughs> well, that's that's I I had uh, I took Renault. The dog the other day, and she chased a squirrel up into a tree. Mm -hmm. And I suppose, as much as she's a retriever, 
that's one mm. benefit of having a dog as well is especially mm. if I mean now and again I do let her go for a good run and she'll just disappear mm. and with that then I will start to see things I'll see you know maybe mm. pigeon squirrel that's on the ground mm. they'll kind of go up into the tree because they perhaps mm. know they're safe there mm. um would you say that's something that you would do as well would you, would you allow your dog to go out and do something like that so more so Sky and Merle again, the more experienced one. She'll mark squirrels up in the tree. Absolutely no bother. Another thing I've done, you'll probably see some training videos if you do end up following us. My dog will circle around a dummy and go to the other side, and I can make her do that, no bother. Now that comes in very handy when you're after squirrels, just for the simple fact that when they see a threat on that side, they'll come back towards you. You've got to be careful. You're going to have to be shooting up. You're going to be shooting horizontal at the thing, you know. Um, and then that's going to make a world of difference to the squirrels. But for me, I don't like them mooching too far ahead. You know, I like I like the squirrel to be settled um, before I take the shot. If they feel that threat coming through the woods, they're just going to keep bouncing away. And I don't have many fast-moving shots, if I'm honest, you know. Um, I try and get them when they're still. Otherwise, pouch goes back to the, towards the forks and, and I leave it, you know. Okay, so I've got another one by... Luke Jones says, I hear a lot of people talking about hunting bands. What are they? So I don't think, personally, I don't think there's necessarily hunting bands. I think there's probably yeah. certain bands out there who are who, who, what's going to probably fire a bit quicker than other mm -hmm. bands. But it's not necessarily like one band or two bands out there. It's not like a company will make uh, hunting bands and then target bands. So how, how mm -hmm. would you go about um, giving someone advice on how to find the right bands to hunt? It's finding out what ammo you want to use as well, you know. Um, trial and error is going to be the way to do things, you know. Um, finding out what it works. You, you might be able to shoot with... You might be able to drop a pigeon with a headshot with five mil, five mil steel and 0.4 bands. You take that out when it's snowing, you, you, the ball might not even get past the frame, you know what I mean? So it is just finding what's going to work all year round for you, or changing your setups relevant to, to how you want to do it, you know. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I'd answer that one better, you know. No, that I think that makes sense. To be honest with you, I think it goes back to um, you know stuff that we've spoken about before in terms of using stuff that works for you. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, you can hit. You know, if you're hitting a target from a distance, at the end of the day, mm -hmm. it's got the speed to get that distance anyway. Yeah, yeah. If you if, you, if you're firing something 20 yards and you're hitting a target 20 yards well you've got the speed because it's hitting the target it's not like you know what i mean if you if you do get a headshot uh, i suppose a lot of people don't realize that impact of that is going to take out your, your quarry anyway i mean if you yeah, hit, yeah you know if you hit a pigeon in the breast it's just going to bounce off and it's going to fly away yeah, yeah um so i think you know i think it's more concentrating on getting your technique um your technique spot on before you start worrying about all the intricate little bits of the, the bands and the equipment that you're using. I mean, I, I would say, especially as well, if, if someone's only getting one or two kill a month, don't be taking advice off them either. You know, you want to be looking at the lads who are getting the big bags, who are getting the good shots in on the videos. You know, if they aren't doing it themselves, you don't want to be copying them. And there's a lot of people out there who, who think they know it all and they don't. I'm not saying that I do either, you know, but look at the people who are getting the results and then try and mimic them if you can or mimic their techniques and in, in the way of where you go on you know i think that's quite important i think you know in terms of technique you do need to kind of listen to what others are doing when it comes to hunting mm -hmm. it you know at the end of the day if you miss a can you miss a can mm -hmm. if you injure an animal you know it's not great to kind of hit a rabbit in the mm -hmm. midsection mm -hmm. um let it hop off somewhere so it's quite important that obviously you've got the uh technique there um like you said you mentioned a few people gamekeeper john chris gavin mm -hmm. uh graphin mm -hmm. who does the uh joe Bond land. as well he's no good uh joe he's good uh, hunting all i want to say so um i think you need to look at those kind of people and you know maybe take some inspiration from the equipment they're using it might mm -hmm. work for you it might not mm -hmm. um you know for me personally it's just what works for me if i get something mm -hmm. i, I can recommend something i can go out and shoot with it and i won't hit anything Mm -hmm. you know get a can out there go 10 yards and i won't hit it with mm -hmm. someone else's advice so you still need to find what works for you mm -hmm. uh, but definitely in terms of technique um you need to make sure you're spot on before you start going out there hunting yeah and try and keep your adrenaline down as well that's another big one for me you know um as soon as my adrenaline spikes that's me done for a little while i'm not going to shoot i'll get a few target shots in you know and that's always i've always find that when i haven't hunted for a little while i'm not settled into it you know um 
so I, I, tr I really try and work on that and try and stay calm. I don't, the mental preparation before a shot, I don't want to be walking around thinking, where's a pigeon? I need to get yourself a pigeon. Or oh, where's a pigeon? As I said earlier, I like that blank mind. I think if I build the shot up, me adrenaline spike something stupid, you know. Um, so just, just enjoy your walk out. It, you're not out catapult hunting. You're out for a walk and you happen to have a catapult in your pocket. Try and, try and take things a bit more like that, you know, and, and a bit more opportunistically than I have to get one, you know. If you put the stress on you, you're going to feel the stress when you're shooting, I feel. And that's that's a bit of good advice, actually, because I find that quite a lot. If I go out, I'll set off early in the morning. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll get frustrated because I've not seen anything. Mm -hmm. you know, and I suppose when that frustration kicks in, yeah, we do see something, that adrenaline's mm -hmm. going to go, and your composure's mm -hmm. gone. Mm -hmm. You've gone for a dog uh, walk, that's all you're doing. Right. Mm, that's what that's I would do. Makes it a bit easier for you, you know. I mean, one thing I would say, one, I think one of the best bits of advice I got, I mean, I, I never used to get up early. When it gets to summer, get your alarm set for half four, lads, and get yourself out at that time. And just have a mooch out for, you know, if you start work at eight, get yourself for two, three hours and have a prop mooch at that time. And I think that's one of the best times to go out in the summer. And, and like, say, along rivers that time when it's really hot as well, you're going to get better results, I feel, um, for, for the amount of or, or lakes, whatever you may be, you know, mm -hmm. you you'll, you'll get get better results at that time, you know, rather than going later on. But that's just me, you know. Oh, perfect. Well, thanks for that, Alex. Um, I think we've had some a lot of information there for someone that's looking to get out there uh, mm -hmm. hunting with a catapult. Um, is there anything that you want to say um, just before we kind of finish up on uh, hunting with a catapult? Like so I, just as I was saying there, don't put too much stress on yourself. Just go out for a walk. Just enjoy the walk out. Um, start, as I was saying earlier as well, start thinking about what's happening around you. Where are you seeing the pigeons? At what point are they flying away? Um, don't hammer the same areas over and over again because they will get used to the same threats if you are going out at the same time. Um, but most, most importantly, just have fun with it, I think. I think you've got to enjoy it, haven't you? There's no yeah. point frustrated mm -hmm. um, or not knowing what you're doing. I think that's another thing you have to kind of do your research, make sure you know what you're doing before you go out. Um, but yeah, enjoy no, the that's process. Great. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, enjoy the I failures think... as well. You're going to learn from them. You're going to laugh from them. You know, you, I think too many people come into it. Uh, yeah, loads of people will know these people as well. They haven't got a kill within the first few weeks. Ah, I'm not doing that anymore. You know, you need to, you need to absolutely love what you're doing and, and trust the process that it is going to happen. You know, there was things I was doing where if a band snapped, I would just tie the end back on. So I had wonky bands on, you know, that, you know I'd done all sorts of stupid stuff in the early days, but I loved the process. I trusted that it was going to work and I just kept that, you know, to, to the point there. If I go out nine times out of 10, I'll get a kill, you know. I think for me, one of the things that people don't think about is what are you going to do once you take that out? Do you know how to clean an animal? Um, because yeah. of, got it, you put it in your bag, you get home. And then what you sit there and watch a YouTube video, mm -hmm. seen a squirrel. Um, so I think you know you need to think of every single part of what you're doing, mm -hmm. the preparation um, when you're out in the field, and then mm -hmm. obviously when you come back, um, because that's one thing I think people forget about. It's all great, especially mm -hmm. with catapult. You put all this time and this effort in, but you want to know what you're doing. Even even little things. And I don't know about you, but I, I, I'm quite passionate about cooking. Um, mm -hmm. So even looking at recipes and things you can do mm -hmm. with different meats um, mm -hmm. and things like that, I think you need to kind of look mm -hmm. at, and it'll probably give you a bit more motivation as what you were just saying mm -hmm. about giving up, oh, I haven't hit anything. Mm -hmm. But if you've got that in the back of your mind, you've got this recipe, you want to do buttermilk squirrel, and you want to do this, you want to do that, it gives you that yeah, little bit yeah. of motivation onto, you know, going out or you've got yourself a knife and, you know, you, you know, you know what you want to do. You've watched many videos on mm -hmm. different methods, different, different ways of uh, cleaning a squirrel, for example, um, mm -hmm. and then I suppose the only thing left to do then is go out and get it. Mm -hmm. I mean, one thing I always say is make the most of your mooch. So although we're talking about catapulting, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of the mooch and I'm looking for those other opportunities, opportunities, I should say, you know, um, through me forage and things like that. So start looking at other things that you can be doing when you, when you're out there, you know, even if you are looking for them forageables, it's, like I said earlier, it's taking your mind from, I need to get a pigeon. I need to get a pigeon, I need to, you know, and it's going to keep you calmer for when the opportunity does arise, you know, but make the most of your mooch, lads, and look for other things to be doing while you're out, you know. Foraging, I, I, I swear by it, I wouldn't be rushing into eating things straight away, but if there's any English lads, I mean, we're in, what, we're in March now, a couple of ones for you to look at, wild garlic, print screen a picture of that on your phone, um, opposite leaf golden saxifrage, take a picture of that on your phone, 
those two you're going to find down streams. Jack by the Hedge is another fantastic one. You're going to find that on roadsides, things like that. Take a picture of that. Have a look for it when you're out and about. And gorse bush petals, have a look for them when you're out and about. It's just going to set you away. Take some pictures on it. Join some foraging pages online. And that's going to be another way that you can sort of open up your wild cooking a bit as well. That's great. Well, thank you very much, Alex. Thanks for your no, time. Thank you, mate. Um, we'll, um, we'll finish up here with just... Uh, if you want to follow Alex on Instagram, do you want to let everyone know what that is and what it uh, is that you kind of do? So it's Alex Davidson Outdoors. A lot of it's dog training nowadays, sort of getting ready for season, but there's a good few ferreting clips on there. Um, there's some long netting clips on there. Um, basically just all hunting and foraging dog training, really. So, yeah. That's great. Well, thank you very much, Alex. Thanks for your time. Cheers, um, man. Thank you. Later. Cheers, Cheers Paul.